morning, everyone. Great to have you here with us this morning. A few people out on the plaza enduring the winter weather. Way to go. Out there, it's great to have you joining us online as well. You know, as we've mentioned um, already here today, uh, this last week is a great opportunity for us to, uh, again, one thing we've been praying about for a month is just the idea that this is a great time for the church to uh, be a symbol of unity and love, and it's one of the great things about our country, actually, that we can come together in an election, and that people can have different ideas, and you can vote, and then we can keep moving on, and, and that's the great thing about our country, and and with diversity of opinions and all of that, and, um, you know, one thing, and we kind of already mentioned it, but however you're feeling this week about the election, however you're feeling, maybe some of you, it's joy, some of you, maybe some fear, some disappointment, whatever it might be, whatever you're feeling, just take heart in knowing about half the people around you feel the opposite, okay? So that actually should cause us to be gracious towards one another, to be compassionate, to be empathetic, whatever side you're on, because people think differently. And if it was flipped, you'd be feeling exactly what they're feeling now. And so let's just make sure we're always a church and we're a people who say, yeah, there's a lot of people who think differently, but that's okay. That's not what we're about. We're about Jesus Christ. And there's a great opportunity for hope. And again, I just want to encourage you too. That's a great thing about our country. I think it's amazing. I think we do this really well. We do it really well. And we're going to be strong. And part of that is because we've had men and women for years and years who fought for our freedoms that we enjoy, the freedom to disagree, the freedom to move forward. And uh, this week coming up, we have what we call Veterans Day here. Uh, One of the great things, joys for me, is the number of military who uh, attend and are part of Seacoast, either active or retired. Um, And it's a joy for me growing up in the military, so it's fun for me to be able to serve you in this way. Um, but we do want to acknowledge and thank those who served and who are veterans among us. So I do want to um, ask you, uh, we do this once a year, so if you're a veteran of the armed services, we'd love for you to stand so we can acknowledge you and thank you for your service and what you have done. Go ahead, wherever you are. Even some of our active duty, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for not only the sacrifice you have made, are making, and your families make for us so that we can have a country that continues to move forward. So we appreciate you today. So thank you. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 5. We are in a series going through the book of Acts, and uh, we have made it through four chapters. So we only have 24 more to go. We're on our way. Uh, But it's uh, in Acts chapter 5 here. You know, there are, in my job, I get this opportunity to talk with a lot of people, many who believe in Jesus. I talk to people who believe, but maybe they've wandered away or struggle with fear and doubt or maybe a lot of questions in faith. I talk with people who don't believe and um, or maybe given up on faith. And a lot of, not a lot, but some of the reasons, I should say, is when you come to passages in Scripture that cause us to kind of scratch our head or say, wow, if this is who God is, maybe I don't want a part of this. Or maybe when you come to a passage, you say, I just can't explain it. And since I can't explain it, I don't want anything to do with it. And 
the chapter we're looking at today, the story today, is one of those stories that if we just read it as is and we're trying to figure out how this Christian things, thing works, you may read it and say, you know, I, I don't know if I want this version of faith. And so anytime we come to those passages, instead of ignoring them, which I'm actually tempted to do, for me it's like, well, maybe we'll skip over this one and just keep going on. But Really, what's better is to say, why is it here? There's a reason that the, that the writers of Scripture included these stories, and how do we learn from it? How does it actually encourage us and, and strengthen our faith? So that's what we're going to look at here today in Acts chapter 5. So uh, let's jump right in. And actually, Acts chapter 5, to understand it, it actually starts in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. So uh, chapter 4, verse 36 says this, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means the son of encouragement. He owned a tract of land. He sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. They kept back some of the price of for himself and his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? So why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. The young man got up covered him up, and carried him out and buried him. It's a good start so far, isn't it? Now, there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, "Uh, Yeah, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you've agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Uh, The ushers are going to come forward and pass out the offering baskets now. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you read stories and you think, what, what in the world is going on here? Really? We had, so far in the book of Acts, we've had all these great stories. We see the power of the Spirit kind of filling the church, and they're seeing these signs and wonders and miracles, and they're proclaiming the name of Jesus and saying, in this name, we're seeing these great awes and or miracles and wonders happen, and the church is growing by thousands and thousands of people, and people who are rejected, and on the outside, were being welcomed in, and even a couple of weeks ago, we saw that some of the disciples got thrown into jail for their faith, but it was short-lived. It was one night, and they said, no longer preaching about Jesus, and they said, we can't stop. And the church kept growing and blessing them. And last week, we even looked at, as a church gathered together, there was this sense of generosity among one another where they said, like, whatever my, my stuff is no longer private to me, and my time, my talents, my treasures, every part of me is, is, is actually God's, and so I want to just be open-handed with it. And so the church was blessed. 
It was good. It ends in chapter 4. Joseph, a man from, from Cyprus, sold some land and, and he gave it to the apostles. He laid the money at their feet. Everything's going great. And then chapter 5. Why does this story have to be here? It's going so well. Why don't you just leave this story out? Too many questions come up. So what I want to do is let's just, we're going to walk through the story really quick, kind of retell it so we can answer some questions. I want you to know that I'm going to leave you with questions because there are things I just, I don't know. But then we're going to say, okay, why is this in here? and What can we actually learn and how do we respond to it? So a few things as we go back through the story. First of all, you have to understand the end of four to understand the beginning of five. So Joseph sells some land and notice what it says. He was given a nickname, Son of Encouragement. There's a reason why Luke tells that story and then tells the story in chapter 5 right next to each other. See, could it be that Ananias and Sapphira saw, look at this, look at Barnabas now. His name means Son of Encouragement. How great is that? I don't know if any of you have any nicknames growing up and what your nickname was, but sometimes your nickname, uh, you know, it it might be because of something that happened, and now that you have a nickname that you're going to live with, it might be some way you look, Um, and and most of us, you can't make up your own nickname. Uh, If you could, we all would have awesome nicknames. You know, we'd be like Maverick and Iceman and stuff like that, if you know the reference. But yeah, so... And I know for all of you serving in the military, the nicknames you're given, you don't get to choose cool nicknames usually, right? You are given a nickname by the people around you. Barnabas is given a cool nickname. How great is that? He walks around and the church is like, oh, that's a son of encouragement. That guy is the encourager. He's awesome. Who doesn't, if your nickname is the encourager, that's not someone that you're like, oh, here comes the encourager. I'm out of here. I'm act busy. No, they're like, oh, man, this is the guy you want to hang out with. Ananias and Sapphira see how favorable the response was. Could it be that they said, hey, let's get a cool nickname. All you got to do is sell something, bring some of the money, and we don't even have to bring all the money. They will never know. So they sell something. They bring the money. They say, hey, look, we sold this field for $1,000. Here's $1,000 we're going to give to you. We've got some ideas here, too, of new nicknames. If you want to look here, just a few suggestions, maybe. You know, I don't know. Mr. and Mrs. Awesome. It could be, you know, at least name the building after. What, what could it be? But I think, actually, the story isn't about money. It's about something in their hearts. So, They bring this, and we're going to unpack that in just a moment. Peter looks at them and says, why has Satan so filled your heart? Now, here's a question that comes up for me. Were they Christians? Were they followers of Jesus? And if they were, how did Satan fill their hearts? Is that that a thing? We don't know where their faith was. We have no idea. Now, I want to tell you this. Those of us in Christ, you cannot be possessed by Satan We have the Spirit of God in us. Jesus dwells in us. But can our minds be influenced by the enemy? I think so. It could be that that's what he's talking about. So he says, why has Satan filled your heart? And you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, a little side note for those of you who like theology. The next thing he says, 
You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. So here, this is where we get part of our theology of the Trinity. This is one of the little breadcrumbs. Peter equates the, the Holy Spirit to God. Why have you lied? You haven't lied just to, the, to man, it's to God when you lie to the Holy Spirit. So there's a little theology side note. So Peter says, why, why have you done this? And Ananias falls dead. Could you imagine being in that like church meeting when that happened? I mean, I, I, I even think of like Peter. He, he never pronounces a curse on them. It doesn't even say God struck him dead. We don't know why he died, and scholars have all these ideas. Oh, once you get caught in sin, this fear, and you can actually be scared to death. Science, or, uh, doctors have proven that from time to time. Did he get scared to death, and he literally had a heart attack and died? Maybe. We don't know. We don't have to explain it. But what we know is Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And he dies. You're in that meeting. What are you thinking? Can that happen? <laughs> Do you think Peter's like, can I do that? <laughs> is, this, is, this like, is this one of my powers now? I, I was healing somebody. Can I now kill people? <laughs> I mean, they, there's, this, this must have been the most bizarre moment. And, just, and it says, and great fear filled them. You think? <laughs> so he falls over, and then it says, the young men come in and build, bury him. Who are the young men? Someone asked me in our teaching team. I said, I have no idea. I think they were young men <laughs> who carried him out. And buried him. Now, there's another question. Why would they bury him so quickly? That doesn't seem... They would bury him that first day. But his wife comes in three hours later and can't find her husband. How's that conversation go? Oh, did you look in that hole out there? (laughs) We buried him. Sorry. I mean, I don't know. There's There's some conversation we're missing. It is odd that they would have a ceremony and bury him without telling the wife. We don't know. My guess is it has something to do with they uh, had great fear, and they thought, man, if God did this, there's sin in the camp. We need to deal with this soon. So it could be that. We don't really know. His wife comes in an interval three hours later. Why does she not know what's going on? I don't know. Did, was there a longer conversation? Like, okay, he died. We buried him. Why'd you bury him so quickly? Uh, we couldn't find you. I don't know how that went. But then he said, so um, just a question, because um, he fell over and died. Um, he gave us this money from a field that he sold, and uh, he said it was $1,000. He said it's all of it. Is that right? Is it 1000 And she said, uh, yeah, that was the money. And then Peter says, okay, the feet of the guys who just buried your husband are here ready to carry you out. I, do, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, did he think like, okay, let me try it again. You're going to follow. It shows she dies and they bury him. I can't explain it. I don't know. So let's try to understand why this is in here because there's a lot of unanswered questions. First of all, let me tell you what this story is not about. Okay? This is what I don't think. The story is not about these things. First of all, it's not about selling all your stuff and giving it away. That's not what the story is about. In fact, I don't think it's about the gift at all. Because Peter actually says, Ananias, when you own the land, you could have done anything you want with it. You didn't have to give it to the church. And even after you sold it, you still had control of the money. In other words, you, don't, you didn't have to give all the money away. That's not the point. 
The point was this, what your heart was, the deception, what you were trying to buy with this, what you thought you could do by saying it's everything. But it's not about selling all your stuff and giving it away. That's not even what last week was about. So that's not, that's, that's something that happened. Maybe Joe Barnabas sold something and gave it away. But it's, that's not what the story is about. The other thing the story is not about is avoiding sin so God won't kill you. <laughs> that's not what the story is about. It feels like it might be. Like, okay, listen, little boys and girls, I'm going to pull out the flannel graph this morning, and, and we're going to teach you a Bible story. Look what happens when you lie. We're going to bury you in the playground in between services. I mean, it's, it's, that's not what this story is about. So what is this story about? I want to suggest two things I think this story is about. The first thing I think this story is about is this, God's love for the church. I actually think this story is about God's love for the church. Now, you might think, that's a strange way to love. But let's talk about it for a moment. See, the church was at a very critical point in its history. It was in its infancy. Jesus had given a mission to the church and said, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you now, would you go and make disciples of all the nations, representing my name to the nations? You now, that you are part of this movement. That is what the church is, people who believe in Jesus. And it's at a crucial time. This is not the time for people to start making the church look like every other human system and organization. You see, because what Ananias and Sapphira were really doing is they were playing by the world's rules of power and prestige. They were saying, oh, if I give enough money, if I show up and I somehow rise to some status, then I can be honored and I will have more influence over this thing. And this will be, you know, we're going to kind of be a big deal. And so they were playing by the world's rules of how you gain status and how you gain prestige and how you gain power and how you get preferences. And then we give this much. So, hey, next week on worship, we'd love to hear these songs instead. And, you know, it, it was kind of like the beginning of that. And I believe God's saying that it's important at this time in history that there's none of that in the church. The church is not going to operate by power. In fact, Jesus himself gave up himself for the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And then it says, He gave up his life for her to sanctify her and make her blameless. Jesus loved the church, that's you and me gathered together, so much that he gave his life for us to make us holy. Jesus' love for the church is what I purchased is a new way of living. It's about sacrifice. It's about giving. It's about uh, compassion. It's about giving up of yourself and humility. It's not about power and preference and pride and all of those things. That's not how it's going to operate. And for what Christ died for, he saw at this crucial moment, we can't, there can be no mistake that we're not doing things that way. There's a similar story. It's not a parallel, but it's very similar in the book of Joshua, chapter 7. The very beginning of the nation of Israel, when they entered into the Holy Land, we have a guy named Achan who took back some of, he held back something that he was supposed to dedicate to God. He wasn't supposed to take any spoils of war, and he held back some of it. In fact, 
The Greek, here Luke uses the exact same word that's only used one other time in Scripture that was used of the story of Achan in the Greek translation. Probably intentionally drawing the readers to that story. Not saying it's the same thing, but the point was this. Israel was at its infancy. God had called them to be a nation representing his name and his ways. His ways were different than the gods of the land where they were entering in, the gods of the Canaanites and the Moabites and the Amorites who were sacrificing their kids to them and, and, and taking from one another. It was like this. And so God said, when I come in, there's going to be a new nation, and you're representing me in my ways. And so make no mistake, you have to, I have you separated out to be holy. So the similar story, parallel, at the infancy of the nation of Israel was the infancy of the church. And I believe what Luke wants us to know is this is a crucial moment. And the church is going to be different. This organization is going to be different than what you're used to. So the story is about God's love for the church. The second thing is this. I believe it's about the holiness and majesty of God. It means that the God you're dealing with here this God that you've been worshiping, in fact, the first four chapters, we keep seeing it, talk about who you're talking about. Oh, we're talking about the name of Jesus, the Lord. What are these healings done in? The name of Jesus, the Lord. Jesus is Lord. They keep intermixing these. Keep going back to, you want to know who you're dealing Jesus is, when you say it in the Jewish context, Jesus, context, Jesus is Lord is saying he is Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the God of your Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, that's who Jesus is. That's who we've been talking about for four chapters. So in chapter five, we're seeing this holiness and majesty of God. This God is other than all the other gods you might be bowing your heart to. This God is other than. Now, so how do we respond? And when we look at how we respond, I think we're going to understand it even more. There's two responses responding to this. If it's about God's love for his church and it's about his holiness and his majesty, how do we respond? The first thing is this. Let's remember and reflect on his name, on the name of God, on the name of Jesus. Now you say, well, that sounds so churchy. <laughs> what an easy answer. Just remember the name of Jesus and you'll be fine. Again, we've been talking about the fact that when we say name in Scripture, we're talking about the whole character of the person. The story started off with the nickname for Barnabas, identifying his character. When we talk about the name of Jesus, it identifies his character. And remember, he is Lord. He identified with Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the one creator God. In John chapter 8, Jesus actually claimed, using Greek, so we don't understand it in English, but they said, who are you? And he said, even before Abraham existed, I am. To which if you read that, you say, that's terrible English, that's bad grammar. What he was saying, even before Abraham was there, Yahweh. That's me. So what does that mean? I want to point you to Exodus chapter 34. I have it on the screen for you. In Exodus chapter 34, this great story where Moses is on this mountain with God, and he says, he's having this conversation, which that in and of itself is bizarre. That's crazy. So great. And he says, hey, show me your glory. And when we read that in scripture, glory is essentially the, the character. Show me who you are. And God said, okay, I'm going to pass before you. And look what he says here in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. 
And God passed in front of Moses and he proclaimed this. He proclaimed his name. He said, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then here, the rest of this is his name. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So essentially, when you think of Yahweh, and this is in many ways the most quoted verse or referenced verse in all of Scripture, Exodus 34, from the Old Testament. Referencing back to the character of God. So when we reflect on the name, we think about the holiness of God. How do we do that? We want to remember the name of Jesus and all that it entails. The Lord, the Lord. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the generations. Yet, does not leave the guilty unpunished, meaning there's this justice side of him, but we have to remember all of it. Now, if that's the name, and we apply that name to the story, doesn't it change how we look at it? See, if the name of God was the Lord, the Lord, who does not leave the guilty unpunished, then the story would go like, oh, that's who you're talking about. Don't sin, kids. We have to remember the rest of it. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. Maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's the name of the Lord. That's the name of Jesus we're talking about. So if that's who he is, then the story can't just be about you messed up and now I kill you. That's not the same name. There's something different at play. So we want to reflect and remember his name. Second thing I think how we should respond is let's respond and live in awe. In awe of who God is. Look how it ends. The end of the story. Verse 11. Great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard about these things. Again. I, I, would be, I would be afraid. I probably would watch online for a couple weeks after that, to be honest with you. Like, I'm not going to go there for a few weeks. So let's just make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> Great fear. See, sometimes when we think of fear, we think that means be careful. Be very scared because God sees everything you do. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. So, okay, never mind. Getting in a Hollywood mood, holiday mood. Sometimes we think that fear is, I'm just waiting for God to get me. I actually have some props to help you with. When I think of this story, can you hand me the other one really quick? When I've read this story before, I've actually pictured this. I'm going to do a little wardrobe change. Here we go. I've often thought of the story and pictured the young man to be kind of like this, standing there. They just came back in, just buried Ananias because he lied. <laughs> and Sapphira comes in, and Peter goes, So let me get this story straight. Were any of you ever kids? Was anyone ever a kid before? Um, ever have that conversation with a parent, a neighbor, teacher, principal a few times? Anything where they say, um, let's just get your story straight. We talked to your friend a minute ago, and he told me the story. And you're like, I wonder if he lied or told the truth. Where do I got to go with this one? 
Is it more honorable to stand up and stick to the story? Or should I come clean? What, what do I do here? What did my friend do? And they never let you know. They're like, he told me everything. You're like, did he? Like, what? Give me an example of what everything is. And I kind of pictured this story. Like, Peter's like, tell me what, tell me what happened. And then comes in in the background, two guys standing there with shovels. And they're like, go ahead, tell him. <laughs> what happened? It's very tempting to think, like, this is how God treats us. You're coming to me in prayer? Oh, you're going to confess some sins? Okay. Go ahead, start confessing them. See that guy sitting over there with a the shovel? Don't mind him. We're just going to listen, see what you have to say. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're listening online. And you're just wondering when God's going to send some people in with a shovel waiting for you, just waiting for you to mess up. Is he going to dig the hole for me today? I don't think this is our God. This is a story in the history of the church. It doesn't happen again. But when we live in fear of God, it's not fear of the shovel. It's living in awe of who he is. In First Peter I want to show you this verse in chapter 1. I have it on the screen. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the grace of Christ, not in your ability to avoid the shovel. Get that. He continues in verse 17. He says, if you address as a father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. This is in awe, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, but with precious blood as a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. If we're focusing on the grace, we're not living in fear in the sense of maybe that grace will run out. We're living in fear in the sense of that is such an awesome God, Yahweh, Yahweh. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and yet you gave your life for me, and I deserve the shovel. Could you imagine everyone else in that room? Do you know what Peter's life was like? Just a couple months earlier, Jesus was crucified, and the very night Jesus was crucified, Peter denied him three times. He said, I don't know him. In fact, he brought down curses on himself. He said, curse me if I know him. I don't know him. Do you know who deserved the shovel? Yet Peter was standing there. Everyone who's standing there could have been like, that could very well be me. But that's not who our God really is. He spared the shovel for us. And the story of the church is he redeems you and me, people who deserve the shovel, and says, now you go and bring hope to this world. You know, in 2020, there's going to be an election, and I'm going to choose a group of people who deserve the shovel, and I'm going to make them be the ones and call them to be the ones to bring hope and healing and redemption. Yeah, broken, messed up people who deserve the shovel. That's my plan A for bringing hope to the world. That's us. So as a worship team makes their way back up, 
We're going to end with one final song, and I'm just going to ask you to take some time to reflect. Maybe for some of you, you want to reflect on the name. Remember who Jesus is. Remember that there's power in this name and actually who he is. He's not Jesus, the undertaker. (laughs) He's a gracious and compassionate one. So would you reflect on the name of Jesus? Also, maybe some of you here, you've just been waiting for the shovel. Maybe today you need to be reminded that Jesus already took it for you. And any of your sin you're struggling with, any of the doubts that you have, the fears that you have, he can handle it. He can take it. And let's just leave it to God today, remembering who he really is as we end So take some time to reflect. Um, If you want to join and, and stand and sing, you can. If you want to sit and reflect, let's let God move in this place. And wherever you're at, let's remember truly who he is as we respond.